This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Colin Tipping. Colin is the creator of a method for personal and spiritual growth that he calls radical forgiveness. And I can tell you, because I've been experimenting with this method, along with several other people at Sounds True, that it is incredibly powerful, wipes the slate clean on many issues that you thought you could never wipe clean. Colin is the founder of the Institute for Radical Forgiveness Therapy and Coaching, as well as the co-founder of the Georgia Cancer Help Program, and the author of the new Sounds True book, Radical Forgiveness. On February 2nd, Colin Tipping will be hosting a three-part online event with Sounds True, specifically on radical forgiveness for healing. I spoke with Colin on Insights at the Edge, about radical forgiveness. It's five steps and the relationship between radical forgiveness and the healing of cancer, as well as radical forgiveness and weight loss. To begin with, I think it's important that you explain, you explain radical forgiveness as distinct from people's normal ideas about forgiveness. Because really, after spending some time with the book Radical Forgiveness, it almost occurs to me that that you needed to use a different word for what you're talking about. It's so distinct from what people normally assume forgiveness is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And if there was another word that I could use that would describe it, I would. But, um, you know, forgiveness is about the only word that I could really come up with that people would relate to and that we could um, make it work. So I called it radical forgiveness, which worked well for me, really, because people knew what forgiveness was, but it raises the question of why is it radical. So that's really, it's actually worked quite well for me. And the um, the two words, too, are sort of opposite in their, in their energy in that uh, radical is a male-dominated or oriented word and forgiveness is female. So you've got that nice balance between the two words. But let me explain then what, what, what radical forgiveness is as opposed to what I call traditional forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're used to, as you say. Basically, then, radical forgiveness is very much like traditional forgiveness at first. In other words, it, 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 um, it asks of us the, pretty much the same in, in, in that it asks us to be understanding, uh, it, to bring some sort of uh, compassion to the situation, to what has happened, to understand what might have motivated the person to do what they did, um, and to bring some mercy, if you like, uh, to the situation and to and to perhaps even put yourself in the person's shoes. Would you have done the same thing had you been in their shoes? That kind of thing. So that's what traditional forgiveness asks us to do. And so does radical forgiveness in the sense that it's, um, it's, it's what we need to do as human beings to try to understand situations and understand the motivations of other people and why they did what they did to us and so on. So to that extent, it's the same. 
but with uh, the, what marks it out as different is that with traditional forgiveness, we're still holding on to the idea, very firmly, that something wrong happened. And that, uh, and that I have been victimized, and you are the victimizer, and uh, I am damaged, and I can't let it go because you have caused me to be unhappy for the rest of my life because of what you did to me, even though I'm trying to forgive you. So you can hear in those words that, that there are two contradictory ideas. Number one is that you have damaged me in some way. I am a victim. And yet, on the other, I'm trying to forgive you. And the way human nature is, that makes it extremely difficult because nearly in nearly all cases where something really serious has taken place anyway, the need to condemn is still much stronger than the need to forgive. And that's why it takes forever uh, to, to forgive people and why most people never achieve it and why most people think it's the most difficult thing that we're ever asked to do. Uh, which is to, to forgive somebody using that, that system. So what radical forgiveness does, though, it takes the traditional forgiveness and then goes one big step further, a radical step further, and it rests on this following principle that everything that happens to us actually happens for us in the sense that there is a reason behind everything that happens. There's a spiritual purpose in everything that uh, every situation that we uh, experience in our life is divinely guided in some form or another and we don't understand how or why but if we just open to the possibility that everything in fact does happen for a reason and that everything that happens in our life is divinely guided then something happens energetically to us that brings us peace and so that's the big radical forgiveness step. That's what makes it radical. Nothing that ever happens to us is without purpose and without uh, some sort of uh, gift for us in, in, in spiritual terms. Okay, but what about this, Colin? And I'm sure you've heard it all, but I still have to ask these kinds of questions, which are things like, okay, I get that this thing happened to me for my own benefit. I grew so much. I learned so much. I changed so much. But it was still wrong. It was still wrong that that person did X, Y, Z. Yes. In, in human terms, it was wrong. So w what we have to be able to do when we do radical forgiveness is to, be, is to exist in two different worlds at the same time. Uh, on, the, on the first hand is the world we're used to, which is our own human world. And in those terms, and in, the human, in human terms, what, what happened was, quote, wrong. But then there's this other world that we need to exist in at the same time or have a link to through our own consciousness is where in the world of spirit there is no right or wrong. Things happen the way they do because they need to happen the way they do. And that there is a divine hand of providence in action here um, guiding these situations to make them happen the way they do. And that we have a hand in that in that it's our own spiritual intelligence that's helping to create these situations. Well, of course, and once again, I'm sure you've heard these kinds of questions, but when we think of terrible abuses that happen to people that seem, you know, very young, innocent infants, yeah. how can we say that this needed, quote-unquote, to yeah. happen to this person? Well, see, first of all, what we have found over the years is that when people open up to this possibility that, that everything happens for a reason, it seems to change not only them and how they feel, but it seems to change the situation as well. So it does seem to indicate 
that there is some sort of energy moving that is uh, creating the situation in a much better way than, than if we just hold on to the idea that something wrong happened. So uh, there are results. It seems to work when we just open to that possibility. And no belief is required. We don't have to believe in anything. And we don't have to be able to analyze it or understand it. We never will understand it, or at least given the consciousness that we have now, we have no understanding of the mind of God, so to speak. But uh, But the kicker with radical forgiveness is that there can be no exceptions to the rule. And so, you know, the kind of question that you just asked, what about the innocent little baby who gets cancer or something like that? Or what about the child abuse situation or uh, situations like we had with uh, with Hitler in the, in the 30s and 40s? We just don't understand it and we can't explain it. And um, we don't know what the spiritual reasons are, why these things happen. We don't know the, the reasons for any of these things happening. But once we just open to the idea that there is a spiritual reason behind everything, then it seems to work. And so the answer to the question is, basically, I don't know, I don't have an answer for that, except to the extent that uh, radical forgiveness doesn't work unless you apply it to everything. Everything. And there can be no exception. In your own life, can you give me some examples of what it perhaps has been hard for you to apply it to, and how you made those breakthroughs? Well, you know... uh, the thing about radical forgiveness uh, is that it's, it's something that you use in your in your life every, almost every day because we're always getting things cropping up that annoy us and irritate us and and um, uh, victimize us. And so uh, many of the tools that we've created for radical forgiveness are designed just for that, for those things that come up that are on a daily basis uh, something that we need to look at and to move the energy through so it doesn't expand and get uh, get us stuck into some situation that uh, that really isn't uh, a victim situation at all. But uh, your question is, do I have a big story? And the answer to that is that I really don't have anything huge, but, but I have lots of little things that, that I've used radical forgiveness on. I mean, I have gone through a couple of divorces, and then I had to do some forgiveness, and I had to do a lot of self-forgiveness in there too. But that was before... I developed the concept of radical forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I've had to do it in sort of retrospect and to work on some of those issues in retrospect, the things that happened many, many years ago. So it works just as well for things that have happened a long time ago that we thought we had put to bed, but maybe there were still some things that uh, that tend to come up again or get repeated. And the clue is always if you have a repeating pattern, if something keeps on occurring in every relationship that you have, then you know that there's something in that in, in a previous relationship at some point that, that was never healed and it's coming up again for healing. Uh, and so you do the work on the one that's most current and that heals all the rest in, in that pattern. That's one of the things I like most about radical forgiveness is that you don't have to go digging up the past too much. If something occurs in your life, you know, in your everyday life now, um, and you can see that there is a, a sort of a pattern to it that, for instance, it, let's say that you were, um, you keep getting abandoned or left or betrayed and you've seen this happen again and again and again. Well, you know full well that that must have happened a long time ago and you were wounded, but you haven't resolved it and it's still there as an energy pattern in the physical body and it's really coming up again for you to heal it. 
And so the opportunity is presented to heal it by whatever is happening now, the last time it's ever happened to you. And as you heal that particular one using the worksheet, uh, then, um, then it heals the wound way back when. And you don't even have to go digging it up. So. You mentioned, Colin, using the worksheet. Uh, what, what worksheet are you referring to? Well, what we have found uh, with this work is that, um, that it's necessary to use certain tools to make it work. And I believe that, that the reason we need these tools is that it helps us to bypass the intellectual mind and to access the spiritual intelligence. Which is, where, which is the part of the mind, I think, or the part of the psyche that actually does the work. It's the part of us that knows the truth of who we are. It uh, is connected to universal intelligence and um, is, is the architect, if you like, of, uh, or it's certainly implicated in, the, in how our life works out. Um, we're not normally conscious of our spiritual intelligence unless we really practice it. But the tools that we use, we've got worksheets of, you know, radical forgiveness worksheets. We've got audio tools that are on the CDs that you've done for me and um, called the 13 Steps to Radical Forgiveness. If we use those tools, it bypasses the mental and takes us directly to our spiritual intelligence. And I believe that if we try to do it mentally, that is to say, without one of these tools. It doesn't work because our own mind wants to analyze. It wants to say, this can't be right. That's surely, uh, that's a crazy idea. You know, it puts up all sorts of roadblocks uh, to us really uh, accessing the, the real truth, which is beyond our mind, which mm-hmm. is much more of a spiritual nature than it is psychological. Now, you mentioned that if radical forgiveness works, it has to work in every single situation, has to be applied in every single situation we can see, both in our own life and in the world. So I just want to see if I'm understanding you correctly. What this would mean is that we would never see anybody in the world in any circumstance as a quote-unquote victim. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. When we're looking through the spiritual lens, if you like, but uh, of course, looking through a human lens, then we see things differently. We see you know, that uh, uh, the terrorists are, are doing things which are uh, victimizing us in some form or another, and, it's, uh, and we've got to do something to stop it. So we, we do whatever it takes in this human world to get in the way of those terrorists and, and try not to, you know, to get blown up. But in, the, in spiritual terms, what we understand is that it's all beautifully orchestrated to teach us whatever it is that we as human beings, spiritual beings having a human experience, need to be learning whilst on this planet. And some of the things we learn through our own individual experiences and some of the things we learn through group experiences. And, um, and terrorism or whatever it is, is there to teach us something. And we don't know what it is, uh, but it's there for a reason, and it's self-created in the sense that, that, that we as a group have decided that we want this experience for some reason or another. We don't know what that is, of course. But there is some way in which we are gaining something of a spiritual nature out of this experience. And that when we come through it, uh, we will have gained something. But at this point, we don't know what it is. Okay, so there are these two lenses, the human lens and the spiritual lens. Right. And we have to try to be in those both places at one time. It's no good putting our heads in the sand and doing a spiritual bypass. We've got to do what we need to do in the human world to take care of, of affairs as we see them unfolding from the human perspective. 
But at the same time, if we can keep our consciousness focused on the idea that there is something else going on besides what we see, uh, that it's of a spiritual nature, then what happens, what tends to happen as I see it, is that once we do that, if enough people, for instance, if we apply this to terrorism, if enough people were to hold it, that the terrorists are not there to to uh, to kill us, but to teach us in some way or another, then terrorism would stop immediately if there was enough people holding that vision and that that consciousness, because the purpose for the uh, for them creating terrorism would therefore disappear because we would have gotten the lesson. Okay, so just we'll slow down a little bit here. <laughs> With the spiritual lens, things are quote unquote orchestrated for us to learn and grow. So that word orchestrated that you used, of course, brought up an image for me. I mean, by what? By who? who wh- wh- where does the orchestration come from? Well, it, if it's just you and, or me doing something and, uh, that creates a circumstance in our life, then, then you or I or that individual is orchestrating it through their own spiritual intelligence with the help of universal intelligence, which you might want to call God or whatever, um, that it's being orchestrated. I don't want to give the impression that it's orchestrated by something else other than ourselves. You know, we are responsible for our own lives, and groups are responsible for group consciousness also. So the person who uh, is sexually abused through a, the spiritual lens has somehow orchestrated this for their growth and healing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Why would somebody orchestrate such terrible things to happen to them? Well, that's what we don't know, you see. And we have no way of knowing what that is. But as I said at the very beginning, what we find is that when people are able to look at it that way, then everything changes. And everybody involved in the situation gets to be um, different, to be in some way healed or changed for the better. And the person who is abused uh, doesn't feel victimized anymore. In other words, we, when we bring love to the situation instead of fear and hate, then everything changes for the better. So you don't believe that there's any randomness in the, in the universe? At the spiritual level, there's no randomness, no. And what gives you that clarity? Uh, only that, that uh, over, the, over the years that we've been doing this work, and we've been doing it now you know, full-time for 12 years, that, uh, that we see a lot of people who come to us in a state of, of deep victim consciousness, very wounded, very hurt. And in the space of a day or so, when we do the workshops, when they uh, open up to this idea that everything does happen for a reason, and there, are, there is no randomness, so that it was all, uh, it's all purposeful in some form or another, that they heal and that they walk away feeling at peace, they're changed, and, the, uh, and it seems to endure. We call people up, you know, after six months or a year, and they still feel the same about that particular event. It hasn't gone back to victim consciousness again. Now, it's not to say that they haven't got other things that they need to heal on, but that particular thing has usually... Uh, the energy stored up in the physical body around that particular issue has disappeared, and they don't feel um, resentful, angry, rageful, as they did once before. So the only way that I can judge this idea 
is that it seems to work and that's really what I'm concerned with I'm not concerned with proving a theory because I, I don't know whether it's right or not but what I do know is that once we apply it it seems to work quite radically and work very well indeed Okay, so what I want to understand is more about what the world looks like to you through this spiritual lens, how you look at events. I mean, we could go back to the terrorism situation. Uh Through a spiritual lens, how do we see that? Um, I see it, um, well, let me first of all say uh, that through the human lens, I see it no differently to anybody else. I get just as mad and just as upset about things that go on in the world as anybody else does. I'm a, I'm a human being, and I'm here, <laughs> you know, playing the human game. But what I try hard to do is, is, to, is to switch my consciousness to try to look through this other lens and say this, that, that there, there is love flowing in this situation somewhere beneath the apparent situation that I don't understand. I don't, how, I don't know how it is working or why it's happening the way it is but I'm ready to be open to the possibility that there is love flowing, and I'm willing to give love to everybody in this situation if I can muster it, if I can bring it up for myself. And that's where the work is. Trying to love people who are doing you harm is not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the tools come in. Mm-hmm. And the tools help us to fake it till we make it. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's basically the idea. So I don't see the world any differently to anybody else, except that, that maybe... Um, I'm just trying to keep my mind open to the other possibility that that uh, that everything is is beautifully orchestrated um, by spirit or by my own spiritual intelligence in cahoots with everybody else's spiritual intelligence that, that gives us a group consciousness to create the, the world in the way that we are creating it. I am pretty sure, however, that that if if there was a large number of people in the world who were willing to hold this idea and to see through this lens that things like terrorism, nuclear war, and everything else would disappear. I do feel, I, I feel pretty sure about that. I don't have any proof for it, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, that because we're, we get what, we, uh, what we, uh, our consciousness creates, and at the moment the mass consciousness is very fear-oriented, and is creating, uh, and is creating a, a situation which outpictures that particular consciousness. So if we change our consciousness, I think the world would change immediately. Now, you used interesting language that you look through a spiritual lens to see that there's love flowing in the situation. What, what do you mean by that? Well, another way to put it that would be more religious is that the hand of God is there, is there somewhere, and that I'm willing to, to hold on to that idea. Uh-huh that uh, th- this is not as bad as it seems. It's not, uh, you know, I have a limited perception of how things are, of what reality is, and that there is a much bigger reality than I can possibly conceive of, and that it's, uh, and that it's uh, orchestrated by a much uh, higher consciousness than we human beings have at this present time. Uh-huh. Okay, now I know you've also done quite a bit of work with radical forgiveness and healing, various health challenges that people have, and especially cancer. Yes. And I'm wondering if you can speak directly to that connection. What's the connection between health and radical forgiveness? Well, uh, just to back up a little bit, it's how I actually came to do radical forgiveness, because what we, uh, when I was doing the hypnotherapy, um, 
I had a practice, and, and I seemed to be attracting people who had cancer, and I didn't really know why. But I also, at the same time, was developing an interest in, in forgiveness. And I, and I really didn't know why I was developing that interest either, until I found out that the research shows pretty clearly that the people who get cancer tend to have a very hard time forgiving. In other words, they have a tendency towards um, uh, suppressing or repressing their feelings and, and burying them deep down, and um, especially rage and especially grief, and that it comes out as, as a, a physical disease like cancer. Not always cancer, but, it, but cancer is a very um, um, likely outcome of having uh, repressed or, or not resolved a lot of issues. So then I, it was that point that I realized why the two things had uh, had come together in my life, and so I put put them together, but then realized that traditional forgiveness was not going to help these people at all because it was too difficult, it would take too long, and they've been avoiding it forever anyway. So that was when we came up really with radical forgiveness as a way to get these people free of the uh, victim energy that was, uh, I believe, a, a strong causation factor in their, in their disease. And so we set out to do cancer retreats for people in the North Georgia mountains and, and to teach them how to use this form of forgiveness. And they were able to do it within a few days and to, uh, and to, to change their life. I'm not saying it healed anybody. Uh, we have some wonderful stories to tell, but I'm not claiming healing. But I do claim that we he help people heal their lives to, to the degree that they, they may well have extended their lives quite considerably by doing the work, by doing the forgiveness, because it, uh, it released the energy. Now, when we hold on to victim stories, those victim stories carry an enormous amount of energy. Now, that energy has to be stored somewhere. And I believe it gets stored in every cell of our body. And eventually, if we hold it there long enough, it's going to come out as some form of physical disease. And so, um, so we, uh, we feel very strongly that, that uh, what we're doing with our Radical Forgiveness workshops is actually cancer prevention because it's releasing that energy that otherwise would eventually come out as a physical disease. Do you think it's possible that some people have cancer, but there's no correlation to bottled up rage and grief? Yeah, I mean, cancer can be caused by lots of different things, um, you know, uh, additives in food, radiation, and all sorts of other things. But there, but there is uh, some research that was done in England uh, some years ago now uh, that, uh, that put forward the point of view that the only, there are only two predictors of cancer. One is the gene factor, genetic factor, and the other one is the way that, they ha that people have chosen to handle their emotions over the years. Those are the only two predictors. And he did some research to show that uh, if you took a bunch of people um, and, and divided them in, t in terms of how they, uh, how they handled their emotions, and those people who repressed and stuffed them were much more likely to get cancer than people who didn't. So, th so there is a correlation uh, between, between that, but of course there are many other reasons why people get cancer too. But the emotional factor is, uh, is now getting a lot of uh, medical validation too. The doctors and in, in the, in, you know, the medical profession are now beginning to really get a handle on the idea that, uh, that there is a huge emotional factor in, in the causation of cancer. Mm -hmm. What do you think is a healthy way to relate to our emotions? Uh, to be willing to feel them. That's the main thing. 
not to be frightened of feeling the feelings. One of the things that we that we stress in the whole process of doing radical forgiveness is that you have to start where you are and to uh, allow yourself to feel the rage, the anger, the grief, the resentment, the jealousy, whatever it is that's causing that victim story to stay there. The first thing one has to do is to feel them and allow themselves to be there without you judging them. So we we in this society are very... Oh, you know, I don't know what the term is, but we, we don't allow people to have negative feelings, and I just don't think that's right. We should uh, we should allow ourselves to have whatever feelings are there, but to know how to work with them, to work how to how to control them, how to express them, and how to work out the energy so that they don't hang there in the body. What we do to ourselves when we don't allow ourselves to have these feelings is that we set up these energy patterns of unresolved emotional energy that will somehow eventually come out as disease and that's unhealthy mm-hmm. so feel them express them safely and and uh, know how to handle them so what in the radical forgiveness method makes sure that people don't skip over that step because of course i'm sure people could hear about spiritual reality you know everything that happened was purposeful and for the greater good i get it and they further stuff their rage and grief and convince themselves yeah. that what happened was for the greater good well, I mean, I, you know, unless I'm with them personally doing doing the work in the workshops, I, I can't control that. But but everything that I ever write, everything I ever talk about, stresses the need for this to be uh, prior. That that if you don't do, if you don't allow yourself to have the feelings in the beginning, then there's no way you can transform them. If if you you, you can't heal what you don't feel. So. Um, but the worksheets and the tools and everything that I uh, that I use in order to help people do this um, stresses that necessity to allow yourself to have the feelings. And most people, when when you tell them that the, 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 the feelings are not to be judged and there is no such thing as a negative feeling, and that and that it's safe to express them, we'll we'll go with it. Now, sometimes you need to find a way to make it safe for people if they're frightened of their emotions, and a lot of people are, especially anger. So uh, th- that is one of the things that we try to do is to is to create uh, situations where people that people can create for themselves if if they're not in a coaching situation or a workshop situation where they can feel safe and supported no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is is your experience that let's say somebody feels victimized by something uh-huh. and there's a lot of rage or grief or whatever the feelings are that if they say okay I'm going to really feel I'm going to allow myself to feel these feelings that that lasts a period of time but it doesn't go on and on and on endlessly that it sort of has an arc and then there's space that opens up for the next step right well that's that's what the tools allow us to do you see that every tool that we have, including the board game, we have a really nice board game for oh. radical forgiveness. But Interesting, even that, wow. Yeah, we do, it's really nice. Do I play it with the person that, you know, I, I think is my perpetrator? Play the board game? Probably not a good right. idea. Okay. No, 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 probably not. Uh, but you can use it, you can play it with people who haven't done radical forgiveness before, and it's uh, and it's a way of introducing people to that, that whole idea, because they get to feel it. <laughs> they feel the success of it. But um, in all those uh, tools that we use, we take uh, we stress that you have to do all five uh, stages. The first stage is to tell the story, what happened. 
and then uh, and, and tell it from the perspective of a victim. Don't, no spiritual overlay, no psychological excuses or anything like you say, this is what happened to me, this is what this person did to me. And then as a result of her telling that story, that's usually when the feelings come up. That's when the, uh, you know, the anger arises or the sadness or whatever it is underneath the story starts to come up. And then we give them full permission to feel those feelings and to, and to do whatever they need to do to feel them. Beat cushions, uh, scream into a cushion, go out in the car and scream. That's what my wife usually does. <laughs> and then uh, whatever it takes to allow those feelings to come up. That's the second stage. Three, third stage is to, is to take that story and start to pull it apart a little bit to see how much uh, interpretation you've added to the story, um, how much uh, you might be able to understand why the person did what they did, and all the things that you would normally do with traditional forgiveness. And then the fourth stage is to do the radical forgiveness reframe, and that's the one that traditional forgiveness can't do. It stops right there. And, and that reframe is where we take the story and say, okay, um, <clears throat> this happened, but there was a reason for it, and I'm willing to be open to the possibility that it was divinely inspired and that, um, and that uh, whatever happened was for my highest and best good, and I'm willing to be open to that possibility. That's the, that's the reframe. And then the last stage is to integrate that somehow into the physical body by doing something physical. And with a worksheet, of course, you're just writing, so that's enough. Um, with the 13 steps, you're saying yes, you're using your voice, uh, but we in the workshops we do breath work, we do dance, anything that's going to get people to to integrate that uh, new story into their physical body, so that it replaces the old story. So those five stages are essential. And if somebody just does the 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 first part, see most people, if you go to a therapist, you get to tell your story over and over and over and over again, and you keep keep reinforcing the story. Once we've told it once and told it thoroughly, then we move on and, and then uh, transform it into, some, into something else. That's, that's what radical forgiveness does. I was completely with you on the uh, first and second step. No problem, tell the story and get, the, get the, go in the car and scream. Uh, on the third step, trying to um, have some insight into what was happening for the other person, uh, you know, I've experienced myself uh, working with that to yeah. varying degrees of success, to be quite honest. And then the fourth and fifth steps, I think, are, are more unique to the method of radical forgiveness and are more foreign to me. And I'm wondering if you could give us an example, maybe of someone you've worked with and especially emphasize the third, fourth and fifth step. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> The, th- the third one is, is, is what we would normally do in traditional forgiveness, as I say, you know, to, to analyze the story, to, to try to see where we had, uh, had unrealistic expectations of the person, um, uh, to walk in their shoes, to say, well, you know, maybe if I had been in that situation, I would have been just as ugly myself. Those kind of things you do in that. We call that the collapsing the story piece. It's where you, you, you collapse it down to its... To, to what's just true, what actually happened, um, why you think it happened, and so on. But, the, but that fourth step, the reframe, this is when we bring the metaphysical point of view in. This is where we shift to start looking at the situation through the lens of, of, the, of the spiritual perspective, so to speak. And uh, it, can be, it can be as simple as simply repeating 
what I just said was, okay, I'm willing to be open to the possibility that everything happens for a reason, and this person did what they did because that's what my soul wanted, and I, uh, I got the lesson that I needed at the soul level, and so on. Because as I said earlier on, you don't have to believe this. Belief is not necessary. Belief is a mental thing. What we're doing here is spiritual. And just by, by saying that you're open to the idea that there were spiritual reasons for everything happening the way it did, that seems to resonate with your spiritual intelligence and everything shifts at that point energetically. It doesn't change anything mentally, but it changes everything energetically. And we've had, you know, story after story uh, where, you get, uh, where you get evidence that the, that the energy has shifted. I'll give you one in- instance. You wanted a story. Yeah. So... Um, we had a, a man who was in his 40s somewhere, mid-40s, I would say, and um, he had spent a lot of his life in prison. And uh, to go back to where he was as a child, he got beaten every day by his father badly and, um, and became pretty much a criminal through that. Um, but he would, he'd never been able to express his anger towards his father, ever. And so when he came to the workshop and told his story, he, was, he we gave him the permission to feel his anger, and then underneath the anger was shame. And he said, I had a daughter, and when he got taken into prison, she was only three months old. And um, so when he went home that, that day, that was on the, that was on the Sunday uh, when he did that, um, he get, gets home, and on, on Monday he gets a phone call from a, a woman she says you don't know who i am i'm 29 years old but she said i'm your daughter and i just had a feeling that i needed to find you and i've been managed to f- to to find out where you were and i want to meet you so those kind of stories happen all the time so not only did he was he able to heal his own energy if you like in his own situation but it affected her as well and, and and motivated her at some deep level because she didn't know why she was being drawn to to call him or find out where he was but it's it seems pretty evident to us as we see these things happening over and over again that there was some energetic pull between her and him that was uh, uh, that was activated when he released his energy around that situation his shame it was the shame that, that his release of the shame not the anger but the shame was under the anger. Mm-hmm. So those kind of things happen all the time. The, 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 you get results all the time that, that seem to give evidence that something must have happened for these things to happen. Okay, and then the fifth stage is, is as you said, it's just a physical reinforcement of what you've learned to make sure that it's really grounded in your body and in your life. Right. That the victim story uh, was, was very much located in the cellular structure of your own body. Um, and had stayed there and then what we had done uh, you know in the process of doing the radical forgiveness you you've let go of your victim story and taken on a new story a spiritual story if you like um, and the, what that needs to do is to is to get anchored into the physical body in place of the old victim story okay. so that it becomes permanent okay so your own experience with working with people is that whatever victim story they've told themselves or whatever their beliefs are, that that's all encoded physically? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. And um, 
not only in the physical body but the subtle bodies too the emotional and mental and spiritual and etheric body so we're dealing with uh, you know when we do this work i think we're dealing with uh, all five bodies at the same time to get uh, to get the energy pattern released from all five bodies and are grief and rage are those the two emotional experiences that you see most often tied to people's victim stories and sadness Anger is usually the one that's at the top, but there's always something underneath anger. It, 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 anger is like a primary emotion, and then there's a secondary emotion underneath it, which is usually the, the main thing. Actually, the other way around. Uh, anger would be a secondary emotion, and then underneath it is a primary one, and that's usually either rage, grief, or sadness. Those are the main ones that come up. But then you, you've got other things like resentment and, and feeling... Um, abandoned, uh, feeling uh, insignificant, you know, all of those uh, those kind of emotions that uh, are making people feel that they're not enough or that they, they'll never be successful. It, I mean, it really does block uh, a tremendous amount of your potential for living when holding all these stories. And, and you mentioned that most people aren't that skilled at letting their emotions come forward and, and flow through them that, that that's not a skill that most many people have right i'm curious uh, why you think that's so difficult and what you can say to help people become more skillful at letting their emotions flow through them well i think it's a cultural thing um i, th- I think um, there are countries in the world where people are much more able to express their feelings and to be more uh be more open in that way um you know i come from from great britain as you know and we're probably worse th- than the americans at this um you know we have this idea that we that we're not supposed to show our emotions we have a stiff upper lip and um and i think to some extent that's true of uh, of people over here but not not nearly as bad as as, as england so it is cultural but i think on the uh, the other part about that is that uh, after we have uh, developed a pattern of uh, of stuffing our emotions we're scared to bring them up because we're f- we're frightened that we might lose control and i think that's where um you know control is a big issue for americans and i think uh i th- i think that's the main reason why people are so reluctant to go near them because they might become so vulnerable and also lose control especially with anger and especially with men men are very frightened of their own rage and uh, and yet what i can tell people is that that uh, i have yet to find anybody um and in some of our workshops we really do allow people to get into their rage i've yet to see anybody lose control mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 good thing is that the um that the subconscious mind will only allow us to do what we're capable of handling mm-hmm. and uh we, you know, we might get so far and then say, okay, that's, that's enough. And, and you have to honor that. And you say, okay, you know, that's good. But um, find someone to help you handle it. See, a lot of therapists are even frightened of people's anger. And so they do nothing but talk therapy. And I don't think talk therapy gets you anywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. But working with a therapist in a, in a situation where your emotions were able to come fully forward could be very helpful. Yes. Could be very helpful, especially if it if it combines some physical activity with it too. 
mean, you know yourself, if you're angry, the first thing you want to do is go and find something to do. You know, yeah. you do... You, Either you know, rather than kick the cat, you go chop wood, or you, you you know dig the garden, or you do something, and and just doing physical activity seems to help. So now, now you mentioned that's partially cultural. In what countries are people emotionally literate, in your view? Uh, well, I think I think the Mediterranean countries tend to be more able to to deal with their emotions openly. Um, Italians, I, you know, I, had to, I don't have a whole lot of experience with those. Um, I do have experience, though, of uh, of Maoris, uh, New Zealand Maoris, and those guys know how to do it. <laughs> um, they're they're very much into their, uh, but they dance and they they work it through. You know, they yeah. they have ways of, uh, of of processing their feelings. Now you chuckled there for a moment, Colin. Were you imagining something? Imagining a, a, a fiery ceremony or something? Um, <clears throat> what in New Zealand? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Joanne and I got invited to speak at the Maori University in Hamilton in New Zealand, and, and I went to, and presented a book to them, and uh, and um, and they were able to. Uh, they went through a lot of rituals uh, for us as as, a, um, as their gift to us. They did a lot of ritual, but they were, in their ritual, they were expressing lots of feelings. And they were expressing them uh, emotionally and uh, physically. And then we did a workshop in the afternoon and taught, taught radical forgiveness to these Maoris. And, and they were somewhat closed at the beginning, but they allowed themselves to really feel it and get into it. And, and uh, they, they just went with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very different. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Actually, I think uh, Americans, on the whole, uh, it doesn't take much to get them into their feelings once they're once they're ready. Um. Mm-hmm. Now, I know in some of your work and some of the more recent developments, you've actually applied the idea of radical forgiveness to weight loss. Yeah. And, and I'm curious what the connection is there and, and how you explain it. Yeah. Well, uh, how that occurred was that we, um, you know, we do this workshop called the Miracles Workshop, and that's pretty intense, and people really do uh, get into their stuff and really transform a victim story. And and we often get people who are sexually abused and um, and who carry a tremendous amount of weight uh, in in the midriff area, hips and, and that area, lower part of the body. And what we discovered was that uh, that when checking up on some people after they left, they would tell us that they had spontaneously lost weight after the workshop, especially people who had had the issue of sexual abuse. And so we put two and two together and said, well, what was, what was keeping the weight on was their uh, subconscious fear of attack sexual attack. I mean, what better way to make yourself unattractive sexually than to put on a tremendous amount of weight? And we are talking about people who are obese here. We're not talking about people who just carry a few extra pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about people who really pack on the weight um, as, a, as a defense against sexual attack. Subconsciously, of course, they don't know they're doing it necessarily. Um, so uh, we developed a, a package, a weight loss package that would help people to release that victim story about being um, sexually abused and uh, potentially um, vulnerable to attack and um, and we find that uh, that there is a there is a release of, of the story so what we say with that 
that weight loss kit is that the only thing that you have to give up with this program is the stories that are the stories that cause the weight gain in the first place. So, of course, I mean, it's not the whole answer. If, if, if there's a food addiction and things like that, you've got to work on that too. But here again, we're looking at the emotional aspect of why people carry a lot of weight in certain areas of their body particularly. Mm-hmm. Now, a final question, Colin. Our program's called Insights at the Edge, and one of the things I'm curious about is what edge people are working on in their own life, meaning what for you is a, is a current challenge or, or growing, uh, interesting uh, opportunity for you in your, in your own growth and development, your own edge? Hmm, interesting question. Well, <clears throat> I guess one of the things that I'm working with now, I'm not sure that it's a forgiveness issue, but it's, um, it's a feeling of wanting to be back in England in order to connect more with my own family, because all of them are over there. And so I'm planning to go and spend three months in the summer over there, not knowing what I'm going to do, how it's going to work out, uh, whether I'm going to work or not. So I'm I'm on the edge in that sense of not knowing quite what how this is all going to work out and and uh, what I'm going to do when I get there. <laughs> uh-huh, very good. Shows a lot of trust. <laughs> yeah, but there's something in me that's pulling me back home. I've been away from England now for 25 years. And uh, there's something in there that says I've got to go home. I don't know quite why or what it is that's drawing me, but I, I need to do it. And um, my wife, Joanne, is giving me full support. She'll be with me some of the time, but not all of the time. I, I want to be on my own for some quite considerable time there. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I wish you the best with that journey. Thank you. Colin Tipping, the author of a new book from Sounds True on radical forgiveness, as well as an audio learning series on the same topic, Radical Forgiveness, and a three-part online event that begins on February 2nd that focuses on radical forgiveness for healing and will look at issues such as radical forgiveness as an emotional detox system and the connection between radical forgiveness and cancer and weight loss and other issues specific to the healing process. For Sounds True, my name is Tammy Simon. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey.